Welcome to Docs in Orbit, where we feature conversations with independent creative documentary filmmakers from around the world. This is Christina Zacriades. Today is the first day of the 36th edition of ITFA, the world's largest documentary film festival. And this year will feature more than 250 titles in 22 sections. Earlier this week, I had the pleasure to sit with Oroa Nirabia, the artistic director of the festival, to speak with him about the role, responsibility, and relevancy of film festivals, and how IDFA is meeting the current moment. We also discuss some of the new sections in the program, including special screenings, signed, and the most highly anticipated corresponding cinemas a unique program that will feature a series of films from filmmakers who have been inspired by one another. This will include Sky Hopinka, Basma Al-Sharif, Jamana Mana, Ibrahim Shabad, and Abderhamen Sasako. We end the conversation with an amusing story of how Wang Bing came to be this year's guest of honor. All the films mentioned in this conversation are included in the show notes for your reference and also on docsinorbit.com. So, without further ado, here's the conversation. Welcome, Orwa. Thank you for making time for this. Thank you, Christina. And it's truly a pleasure to, to speak to you and to be on Docs in Orbit again. Yeah, I've been looking forward to talking to you, especially about this year's program. And I know that right now is probably a really busy time for you, a week before the festival begins. So I just wanted to, to know, like, what, what's the atmosphere there like, knowing what you and your team have prepared for audiences? It's a, it's a lovely question, and it's really nice to uh, get such a question at, at such a moment, because th this is the time when uh, neither me nor anyone on team has a moment to think what is the atmosphere like. I think it is, uh, it is good. I walk around the office in our new offices here. It's like two big open, three big open spaces. And I walk around and I ask, how is it? And it seems like faces of my colleagues are not overstressed this year, that we are in a relatively good place with preparations. Still, of course, it's very, very difficult to be preparing all of this amidst uh, a terrible war. And this affects many on our team in many different ways. And it also makes us think about what what the meaning of what we do is and the value of being a film festival. So in a way, I think we're fine. We're looking forward, but we're just hoping to be able to uh, prove the worth of film festival during such times. Yeah. And I was actually going to ask how... Is the festival meeting this current moment? And especially, what is it that an international documentary film festival, such as IDFA, um, at a time like this, be most helpful and useful? I, I don't know. I think it is also very easy to speak in ideal vision and uh, uh, to preach you know, idealism at such times. And that is not certainly not what I would like to do. However, uh, there's a technicality that I think is also a bit philosophical, which is the fact that the festival like ITFA cannot be programmed the two weeks before the festival or the three, four weeks before the festival. So the entire program of ITFA was already in place before this last war started. 
and uh, we cannot just change it last minute because a lot of work and a lot of planning and a lot of logistics and a lot of people are already preparing for the different activities and events. Uh, so w what this means is that it is a bit also of a test for our relevance. And when we look back and see how much of our program this year happens to be directly linked to yeah. the Palestinian question and the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict uh, and the history of that and the current moment in this terrible, terrible reality. It says something that that actually I'm proud of. I think it is good that we are there, that we're not so far from from history. So what is it? I think it is to be the privileged organization that we are to acknowledge the privilege of being safe. We are not the ones under fire and we are not the ones being threatened on any side of any conflict. And this is not only about Gaza today. This is about many different uh, difficult situations in the world that are going to be present in our program. So this is, we have films and filmmakers coming from Armenia, people who lost dear ones in the Nagorno-Karabakh war. We have filmmakers from Sudan, a country that is going through terrible moments mm -hmm. now. We have a film and a lot of beauty coming from Myanmar, where things are really bad today. We have so many more that one can talk about uh, in the present moment, but also in the past, we have an amazing representation of the 50th anniversary or the 50th, uh, whatever to call it, of of the uh, infamous coup d'etat in Chile. We have, the world is here and the world is not well. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so we here are the ones who are not in danger. I don't think that our own opinions and our own approach is the point. I, I don't think that we should be making this about ourselves. So to me, the point of what a festival can do is to give the platform to people who really need to be or should be heard and to make use of our safety to be able to moderate in a way that guarantees this remaining to be as safe as possible, a space for different people with different opinions. I think with, there is a general atmosphere everywhere, especially in the West today, uh, there's a general atmosphere of, of silencing voices because all voices are very loud and highly demanding. There's a lot of, it's, it's an emergency situation and nobody gets the chance to be contemplative today. It's too hot. To be you know, like you can't just be calm in this moment and that I appreciate. But then what is it that the film festival can do, can give platform, pass on the microphone and moderate an atmosphere that is as calm and kind as possible to everybody in pain, no matter where they are from and no matter whether I agree with them or not. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And thank you for facilitating and creating a safe space for audiences and also for filmmakers. And as I was going through the program, I felt the program so differently because of the current situation. I was finding myself gravitating or seeing or noticing certain themes that maybe were not intentional, but that felt even more relevant today than ever before. So I, you're right, like the world is there. The world is in the program at IDFA. And um, I'm wondering, because it's also such a massive program Over 300 films, is it? I think 270, but I'm not clear about numbers now. 
I'm not good with numbers. Christina, <laughs> I'm not good with numbers. But <laughs> okay, well, but it is a, a massive program and it's a lot to manage, a lot of films to manage. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if there's a particular film in the program that you've kept returning to or that you find yourself that you've been thinking a lot about lately, leading up to the festival? <laughs> uh, it, of course, it's, it's difficult because I'm... Uh, I, I had, uh, like anyone in, in such a place, I had a very rich journey with many films and many of them stayed with me for days and weeks and then I'm alternating them in my head and then there's a morning where I don't remember a single film. However, th there are a few, yes. I do think that I was fascinated by the uh, deeply interesting work of Steve McQueen this year, Occupied City. To me, this is a wonderful artist who chose to make mainstream films for a while and they were good but they were mainstream films and then with this documentary work he just made occupied city it is a very different journey he, he is creating this uh, very rich and open structure starting from the book of bianca steicher who researched the the events that happened during the occupation of the nazis of the city of amsterdam and McQueen and Steicher are partners, the uh, husband and wife. And it is very, very interesting to see this love story between two people from two very different angles looking at an address. So you have in voiceover the stories of what happened in this address during the occupation. And then in image, you have the address today and what's happening around it at this moment, whether during the pandemic or soon after that. And this neighborhood between image and, and, and sound, to me, is an impressive love story. You know, and uh, it is uh, amazing because the way he sees what happens in a place in Amsterdam today is, is who he is. And he does not make a film about Amsterdam under occupation. He makes his film with Amsterdam, his dialogue with his partners, work and I, I found that to be deeply moving. There are many other films. I'm also looking forward very much to seeing the newly newly discovered, the newly introduced film of Raul Ruiz, the great late Chilean legend in in this film, so socialist realism, that I never knew was made. It's a film that uh, a naughty young Raul Ruiz made during the year that uh, Salvador Allende was president. And it is his satire hybrid film that examines the contradictions of socialism being in power of or socialists being in government. So he, he made a brutal fun of uh, the socialist government. But then before he finished the film, the coup d'etat happened and he had to leave the country. And he, as it seems, decided that that's not the time anymore to be making fun of socialist governments after a military coup d'etat backed by CIA changed the history of the country. And nobody saw this film until it's been restored this year. So to me, this new film of the late filmmaker, Raul Ruiz, Socialist Realism, is exciting. It is It, it puts the ethics and the politics of cinema in my face. And I have to look at that and think of the choice. Was it? Was he right to postpone it? 
or to kill it? Is it right that we bring it back to life today? Uh, I don't know. But they, these are questions from 50 years ago that are extremely relevant to what we are experiencing today. And which section is that one in? It's in a new section that is called special screenings. We introduced a new small section, special screenings, that is uh, actually just a way to create a little, little space of freedom to do one-off events at IDFA because our program is massive, but it also is quite rigid, I must say. So when we have a film like this, where do we put it? We don't have any spot to put a film like Socialist Realism, for example. So we created this new section that will in, in the future be including maybe four, five, six max films. This year, it will have uh, socialist realism. It will have a restoration of Through the Grapevine, the uh, Dick Fontaine, the late filmmaker uh, who passed away a few days ago, a film on uh, James Baldwin. Uh, it will also include our celebration of the late Giuliano Merchami's film Arna's Children. Wow. Mm -hmm. So 20 years on Arna's Children was an idea we had in mind and discussed with the film's producer, uh, Osna Trabilsi, and planned to do actually a week before uh, the war erupted. And then this, again, bringing back the memory of someone like Giuliano Merchamis is, is quite, the, quite relevant, one must yeah. say. For sure. And I did notice there is a, there are a few new sections this year at IDFA. So special screenings is one of them. And there's also signed, which I think is where the Steve McQueen Occupy City is in. So can you talk a little bit about the introduction of signed as a new section? Uh, I think to me, it's just a continuous process of examining what we're doing and changing it. And this is the outcome of a lot of work we have done, and I believe I even probably spoke to you about this a year ago, of the section that used to be called Masters. Um, the fact that we had a section that was really cherished and, and quite an interesting thing always to see if a section where you watch films because they were made by great filmmakers. But we were trying for years to make our entire program gender balanced. And we succeeded with the exception of the section called Masters. And we kept on trying to examine what's the problem here and why is it that we cannot have a balanced Masters section. One of our steps into trying to examine this led us to cancelling Masters, to saying that the problem is not only in who we consider to be Masters, the problem is much more systemic and extend to language. And the mere fact that we say the word Master and Masters is pretty ancient. It comes already from a different culture where we define people by being masters. And if we say masters, we will end up with a majority of old men. Uh, so in a way, this is our attempt to revisit this. And we decided to create this new section instead that we call signed. And this is where it is really about recognizing and acknowledging the unique fingerprint, the unique voice of an artist. So when I look at this, you will see the people you expect to see. So you will see Frederick Wiseman, you will see Steve McQueen, you will see uh, many other great filmmakers who are very well established for a long time. But you will also see Tatiana Wezo next to them. You will also see someone like uh, Alexandra Cuesta next to them. You will see many other voices who are younger in age and who made a few films but those films are enough for our team to recognize that this is a serious auteur uh, whose voice is, is singular and who will stay there for a long time. And this way, bringing these together, signed came, came about. 
I, I, I do uh, deeply believe that words matter and that uh, changing words we use is, is not uh, superficial, is not a technical change. It's much deeper than that, such as stopping to call documentary just documentary. It's a documentary film. It's a film. And I think if we don't keep bringing up the word film in whenever we're discussing documentary, then we will uh, keep on paying the price of being not considered film. So, I mean, I, I think words matter. I, uh, I'm a little too uh, focused on that, actually. <laughs> well, um, speaking of focused, there's also the, the two focus programs that are not new this year, but they're that have existed for a while within IDFA's program. But every year they, they pick a specific theme that they curate around. And this year in particular, I was really finding a lot of my selections of what to watch were in, in the focus sections in Fabrications and 16 Worlds on 16, which are the two themes. So I was wondering a couple of things. One was, how how do you and your team work in identifying or selecting or landing on what the focus will be for each year and for this year in particular? This is an old ITFA tradition, as you mentioned. Uh, uh, how, how do we do it now? We do it by by uh, uh, as, as a hive, as a team. So every year in January, we're already pitching ideas to each other. And uh, in a way, there's a moment uh, soon after that that we just settle on two. Sometimes we did three. In some cases, like uh, last year, for example, we did around masculinity, we, we did it as a team. All the programmers chipped in, everybody discussed together and everybody suggested films and watched each other's films and so on. In some cases, it was uh, me who, who programmed uh, uh, a focus program, like the program in 2019 that um, that was under the title, It Still Hurts, examining the... Uh, what remains of World War II in the world in, in the world today. And uh, today we have, uh, uh, for ITVA 2023, we have these two focus programs, as you mentioned, 16 Worlds on 16 is the curation of our colleague Laura van Halsema, who is senior programmer at ITFA and who wanted to, to pay tribute to 100 years of 16 millimeter and to, to examine what this means. And in the way Laura constructed this program, she was making her own statement on uh, this not being a technological uh, change only, that 16 millimeter was actually a revolutionary tool in the sense that it allowed for revolutionary work. And when we say revolutionary work, it could actually mean sociopolitical revolution, but it could also mean aesthetic revolution. So that's why you see this range of films uh, that she selected in this lineup. So it is not only about showing revolutionary tools, but this, the fact that these new tools did make revolutionary cinema and that comes both in the social political sense of the world for films from Africa or Latin America or elsewhere but also in the aesthetic sense in examples like the work for example of uh, uh, Chantal Ackerman and uh, Jonas Mekas and uh, similar filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And I do see a lot of echoes in this in the 16 worlds on 16 with um, with other sections, like you had mentioned earlier, the social realism film that's in special screenings, and we have in this in the in sixteen worlds on sixteen, we have um, the first year 
by Patrizio Guzman. Yeah, this is one of my joys this year, the, the relationship between these two films, because Patricio Guzman made his first feature film with the title The First Year on celebrating the triumph of democracy and Salvador Allende getting to become president in, in Chile, uh, while uh, Raul Ruiz was making a film, a real satire of the same topic. And in a way, these are two of the greatest filmmakers of that country and if in its history and they probably were friends but they had two very different approaches towards the same year so 50 years later we watched the film of Maite Alberti uh, Eternal Memory where it is a film of uh, a different generation in a totally different thing but you immediately see how those films that atrocious experience of the coup d'etat 50 years earlier is now the memory of uh, of the couple in the film so in a way it's a it's a s- s- circle no it's not a circle what is it it's 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 connected yeah they're in conversation <laughs> with each other they're building on each other they're yeah it's quite yeah it's quite nice how it, how it all how there's echoes and um in these and the other the other one too that i was looking at i mean there's so many in this section i'm t- i was i was saying like i said earlier like i was finding myself just clicking everything <laughs> in um, 16 Worlds on 16. And there's also first case, second case, which is the Abbas Kiarostami, which I've never seen before. And it, I mean, just the premise of it reads like a Kiarostami film <laughs> already. And that film could actually also live in other sections of the program, like the other focus program that exists is Fabrications, which is about the deliberate use or mix of fiction and documentary techniques. So how, how did Fabrications sort of surfaced and took shape? Fabrications as a program was the proposal, the idea of uh, our colleague programmer Sarah Dawson. And Sarah's proposal was about examining the representation of truth in documentary film in a way as material, the truth as material for creativity, for for creative treatment. And I think a very interesting discussion because we keep on discussing the truth and speaking truth to the power and uh, the, the responsibility of being truthful and the way people perceive documentary film as a representation of the truth. And, and we look at the world around us today, in, to me at least, it's when I look even at this war happening now and I see how we can believe and disbelieve everything according to what we need to feel now and how uh, there is absolutely no reliability to image in the sense that you can never trust it and that everybody's speaking now about how this is new because of technology. And then you go back in history and you see all the old newsreels that were all supposedly at least made without any AI and without anything. And then you see how manipulative many of them were and how truthful they all seemed. And and you gradually start to see how in many moments, in many examples, fiction is so much more sincere and close to the truth than documentary. And uh, uh, documentary is documentary filmmakers who try to to represent in a sincere way often needed creative tools that go beyond a camera with a headlight in front of the street and shooting exactly what's happening in front of them. They try to create a whole view, a whole world around what they wanted to say. And by creating that, they certainly are not just straightforward documentary filmmakers. They are making a much more complex 
representation of reality that is so much more creative, innovative. So to examine how this happens, I mean, I think it was a brilliant journey. I was always uh, discussing also with Sarah and she was always showing me films she was thinking about. And this was a very interesting uh, process. And I, I think she, she did a brilliant job on that. Uh, it goes all the way from, from old works uh, uh, um, until today when you see the work of uh, people like the Ross Brothers, for example. And the Ross Brothers, I mean, uh, brilliantly a month ago or so, uh, answered in an interview a question about whether what they do is documentary or fiction by expressing their extreme frustration of always being asked this question and by uh, and, and stating they are really bored of answering it and they will not anymore. I think there's, there's a very interesting space here to keep examining what do we mean when we talk about the truth in film and what do we mean when we say the word documentary. Uh, I, I think this is a very interesting space. Overall, I'm not only commenting on fabrications as a focus program this year, I'm commenting on what film is to me. And I think that, that at the end, film is or is not an artwork. And artwork is really about something in the back of the head of a person and then a film on screen. And the link between these two does not necessarily start from a plan. This is what I want to say. What are the right tools or the right instruments for me to implement my ideas into a film? It is a much more of a process of imagination. And I think there's generally to me a very uh, common idea that documentary is not coming from imagination and I think that's a big problem that's a big challenge because I don't think uh, we can do anything of any value without imagination you know uh, I, I think on that level it's not about how you what technique you use it is so much more about what image you find yourself seeing and you start trying to to share with us to show us what you see. And you recreate those sounds and images so that it is an experience that is not only in your head, but rather you, you carry us along with you. And, and that's what I love about film. That's what fascinates me. <laughs> yeah, I love that about film too. And as you were describing that, I was actually thinking a lot about the work of Basmal Sharif, who's in the... Um, whose work is in another new section at IDFA, which is Corresponding Cinemas, and Sky Hopinka as well, because they both in their, um, in their work have this element of the new imaginary, of sort of finding ways in which image-wise and through sound describe their unique relationship with, with land and with self-identity with identity and... Um, and and yeah, and they and they create this world for us to enter into um, through through this mixing of layers. And um, actually, maybe we should talk about corresponding cinemas because for me, this this section, which is on Saturday, which is on on the first Saturday of IDFA, is I would say the day that I'm most looking forward to <laughs> of of the entire program. I mean, this is. Um, can you first, I guess, for listeners because it is a new section, can you just describe the idea behind corresponding cinemas and, and then we can get into the program? Well, it is it is one of those few ideas that I, I've been grappling with for 
at least a decade. And it is, it is the question to me is two, twofold. One part of it is the question of uh, connectivity, of how we all are connected, humans and nature and animals, and how we are always trying to build those clusters or groupings, nations and communities and societies and try to define ourselves by not being connected. But do we really manage to escape the fact that we are connected and that the community or the society or the nation that I define or identify as my enemy have as much say in my life as the one that I define, uh, uh, that I identify as my friend? And uh, those who are very far away and I don't even recognize the difference between their faces and their names look very difficult for me to pronounce, they are actually changing my life every day too and I'm changing theirs. And this kind of physics <laughs> uh, question uh, leads me to trying to think what, how, how do film operate here? So how, how do we connect with film across cultures, across gender, across all of these different uh, ways of building walls? The other point to me is curation itself and the question of curation as uh, an act of uh, oppression. Because I think uh, one aspect of curatorial work is the fact that we that we assume we have the right to line up films, to arrange films according to our preconceived ideas, and uh, and this is as far as it gets from the creative process itself. The artistic process does not include such way of thinking. We look at films as a big pile and we start trying to navigate them through coming up with our own thematic links and so on. That's not how it works. So all of this was part of contemplation when I was sitting in during last Berlinale in the uh, uh, ITFA party at Berlinale. Uh, Sky Hopinka was there and we were having a, a drink on, on a balcony inside this venue, 1920s, gilded uh, era and uh, and then Sky asked me do you know Basma Sharif I, I was taken aback whoa I mean Basma I, I know Basma for a very long time and I really appreciate her work deeply but how, how on earth would Sky Hopinka be asking me about Basma that seems very very intriguing I told him I, of course I know Basma, but why do you know Basma? Only to discover that, of course, Basma spent uh, a few years in the U.S. studying and that and there was some kind of encounter. But the point here is that he said to me, Sky, that the work of Basma Sharif was inspiring in the process of his work and the work of the collective, Cousins Collective, that he was part of. And I, I just walked out of that uh, really amused, deeply amused, of this, I don't know how to describe it. It's fascinating. But it makes so much sense when you look at their works. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the thing is that it's usually the opposite. Everybody who's oppressed and under uh, uh, the threat of genocide in the world compares themselves to Native Americans. You know, that's the, that's the usual direction of things. The directionality is that everybody under the threat of genocide remembers and speaks about Native Americans and their uh, and that genocide. So to speak to Skyhopping and see that he was informed back, this is this circular relationship uh, of inspiration. It was fascinating. So, yeah, what happened is that in a few days I decided, let's do this. Let's call Basma, check up on her, 
and ask her, who is your inspiration? So Basma surprised me by saying, it's Jumana Manna. Jumana Manna is also a Palestinian artist of the same generation, more or less. Uh, but Jumana is from the other side of the wall. Jumana is from Nazareth, while Basma is from Gaza. So there is difference here. And in a way, this link across the wall, like literally and also symbolically, is very interesting. I speak with Jumana and she, she says my inspiration would be Ibrahim Shaddad. And Ibrahim Shaddad is a veteran Sudanese filmmaker who made films in the 70s, early 80s. And but the works of Ibrahim Shaddad are mainly short films made on 16 millimeter that were celebrated in recent few years and with different retrospectives around the world. But today, look at what's happening to Sudan. It's a country in deep, deep, deep disaster. And Ibrahim Shaddad, like many others, was forced to, to be displaced. He's, he's living in the south of Egypt now with his family. But I had to ask Jumana Manna, what is, why? What, what, why would Jumana Manna be inspired by Ibrahim Shaddad? And she said the most beautiful things about the way that Ibrahim Shaddad saw nature in his, with his camera, the way he approached nature, animals and, and uh, plants and the surrounding other, our kin, you know. So then I asked Ibrahim Shaddad, and he surprised me with someone younger than him, and that is Abdurrahman Sisako. And so I said, whoa, why? And he said, because there was a time when I was deeply, deeply depressed and deeply pessimistic, and I was feeling there's no chance that any African filmmaker will be given space in this world today. And that was when Sisako broke through and showed me that there is hope. And that's, to me, inspiration. So, in a way, when I look at this, when I start from skyhopping, I end up with Abdurrahman Sisako. I, I, I'm fascinated. that So, the program is very simple. Each one of them selected the films of the other that they will show. Mm-hmm. And uh, after the film, the two will sit on stage and have a conversation among themselves. No moderator. It will be them speaking to each other. And that is the one full day marathon. It will begin by me inviting Sky and having a conversation with him. Then he will invite Basma and so forth, so on and so forth. So I, I think this will, this is a pilot. If you uh, and others who are interested in seeing what this will be like, if you tell me after Saturday that it is good, then we will play again and we will find a different starting point and be surprised where it leads us the next year and the next year. Because it, that's the point, you know, I, I, you can never imagine where this will lead you if everybody is playing uh, sincerely. And it, Because I, I don't know who inspires who. That's the magic of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a big, it's a big premise for the work that we do at Docs in Orbit, this idea of what what film moves you and then inviting that filmmaker on for a conversation and this exchange you know this like this exchange to happen but the the idea of having a section in a in a festival dedicated to this sort of chain is a, in, in a way and and dedicating a whole day to it it's no doubt it's going to be a very memorable experience and also i wonder what those invisible lines that will become visible from this new way of curating, really. I mean, it's, I know that you said earlier that 
it kind of goes against curating, but you know something will surface from it. Obviously, the works of of Sky Hopinka and Basma Al Sharif already, for me at least, they're already in conversation with each other. And the same thing with I could see the influences between Basma Al Sharif and Jamana Mana, but I I didn't know about. Uh, Ibrahim Shabbat, and I didn't know, you know, so so it's also a way for me to, to discover new works as well. I'm very happy you think so. I'm very happy you think so. And to me, yes, it is anti-curatorial, which is very uh, uh, curatorial act, but it is anti-curatorial because it is not my power as curator. It is me uh, 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 trying to convince everybody again and again that I am not kidding they really can suggest whoever it is that inspires them and show their films and if this person was dead then let's find a way to resurrect them to to uh, uh, conjure them for uh, in in some manner so that there's a conversation but in a way uh, yeah there is a general difficulty i think i'm not talking about these six great filmmakers only i'm talking generally that most most of the people in our world do not immediately uh, 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 internalize or accept that we can do this without playing power, without power games, uh, that this is not about me designing what your inspirations are like. Uh, my my role is to pick the starting point and really the end point also. So basically it's about co-curation in, in a serious way of, of me withdrawing you know, like not 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 being the authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also it's more um, honest as well in terms of like how people discover works because I actually it was Basmal Sharif who cued me in on Jamana Mana because I had asked her. They were I think they had um, I think it was the another screen had done like a small program a couple of years ago. And that's where I had discovered Basma Sharif's work. And then we invited her onto the podcast. And in that conversation, we were like, what other films would you suggest in the program? And she was like, you should watch Jamana Mana's work. And so, so yeah, so it's very natural that this, this happens already, right? This, this already happens outside of um, curation. People find work, yeah, this way, so... You wouldn't know how happy I am to hear about this because to me it's also is one of the uh, uh, triumphs of of uh, commercialization is that uh, a documentary film of a more experimental and more uh, artistically ambitious nature has been kicked out of documentary for a long time. This applies to many great filmmakers. Hito Steyr, our guest of honor two years ago, is one of them because she is an artist and a filmmaker, but she operates only in the art world and starting from a moment when when the documentary world did not welcome her because she was not doing things according to the terms and regulations of the documentary film industry. And uh, to me, this is a very important thing because someone like Basma Sharif is regularly or like uh, 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 classically not remembered in the documentary space. In the documentary space, Basma Sharif is an artist. She's not from around here. Uh, But then I I do think this is about our poor approach that makes our world much, much smaller uh, uh, while it is really 
uh, much bigger than we try to make it. You know, it includes the most corporate, straightforward, uh, true crime or serial killer story, but it gets all the way to the very serious experimental work of, in this example, Basma Sharif. Yeah, that's how big our world is. So with the remaining time that we had, you had mentioned Ito Sterl as a guest of honor previous years. So how did you select this year's guest of honor? Well, I mean, of course, the Wang Bing is not uh, is not a surprise choice. I mean, uh, we've we've had him on, on on our very short secret list of people we want to invite in this uh, spot for a couple of years already. And in a way, I think that the, the, the question of our relationship with China is multifaceted and very important today. Uh, Western governments are all in some form of panic over the growth of the Chinese rule and the prospects of uh, hopefully only the threats of war about, uh, uh, in Taiwan, what happened in Hong Kong and the economic all, all the economic and political questions. But then there is also the question of what's happening today and hence the, the selection of Wang Bing that ends uh, the latest film he chose was from 2012. Uh, uh, and to him, that is the beginning of a new era, the, the, the era of a rising nationalism in China and much heavier censorship and surveillance. And in recent two, three years, what is not often reported or spoken about, but I find very important, is that a good number of China's great filmmakers in both documentary and fiction chose to leave China and to relocate to, to Western Europe. And they're mostly, at least the examples, the people I know are very humble and they never talk about that publicly or do any kind of self-victimization. But they are here they had to move, they had to, they chose to be displaced because they cannot do their work uh, uh, with the freedom they, they need to have. They are now here. We have to welcome them. That's also a point of my Mediterranean heritage, you know, like we have to welcome them. We, can, we cannot just move to the neighborhood and not get invited. And we have to see you and meet you and talk to you. And on the other hand, it is more complex from the artistic viewpoint, because to me, it all starts with a brilliant film that uh, Wang Bing premiered in Cannes 2018. That was Dead Souls, an eight and a half hours film that he made over years secretly. And it is his film examining the or interviewing the survivors, the very old survivors at that moment of uh, Mao Zedong's uh, re-education camps before they passed. And he made that into a film that is eight hours. You can consider it the Chinese show in a way. And it is a brilliant, deeply immersive journey of his own very different language. And in Cannes, I attended the premiere and then I, I met a Western uh, European filmmaker friend who was very established and uh, experienced and famous. And they told me, did you watch this shit? I said, uh, yeah, you think it's shit? And the person said... Do they not know editing in China? It should have been two hours max. And I had to think about this for the past five years. Basically, because to me, the main, it, it is, it is, it is right what this person said. Because this person, like many others, grew up as a person and as a filmmaker within a very oppressive film regime uh, that says a film should be maximum this long and the film structure should only be this way 
and that's how you make film and uh, uh, if you don't then you don't know and then comes the most famous most established filmmaker of a totally different culture and comes along and our answer is not to notice that this is different but to see that it's wrong instead of realizing that we can also do it differently we feel threatened by freedom and to me this is a very interesting exercise it's because it is also the only way to do this is to be humble in the face of the other of of approaching the other with humility you know allowing the other to be as valid as we are and i think this is not only in uh, love relationships it's also about uh, intercultural relationships and it's about the way we perceive art in general it's the fear of freedom simply so why to invite wang bing because we need to try again and approach this work with humility rather than suggesting that we should just give his great masterpiece that is 8 hours to a good editor in new york or in london or in amsterdam who would treat it as rushes and make a 90 minutes good film out of it that would work in the market much better and make everybody a lot of money and be oscar nominated what will it really be that kind of sacred work for the history of uh, of a whole region well thank you so much for any the... more difficult questions Christine? no <laughs> and i didn't mean to question your no. choice of wine being i didn't mean to cast doubt on whether or not he was worthy of being a guest of honor in any way um it was just more of a curiosity of of how you how you go about it i i give you bottom line here i mean i don't always admit why but this was it it was for somebody who said and drew my attention to this amazing distance Yeah. yeah. Uh always a pleasure Christina. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll see you soon. See you very soon. Thanks for listening. If you like what you just heard, please be sure to subscribe to get future episodes and rate and review so that more documentary film lovers can find us. This episode was produced by Christina Zakriades and Hussein Jalilband in Geneva with music by Naim Mahboob in Stockholm.